Well, uh, this is going to be the last message in Romans, so why don't we turn there one more time, Romans uh, 16, and we're going to start in verse 17. I'll pray, and we'll, uh, we'll just jump in. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for a second and a third and a fourth and a 157th chance when we blow it and we don't follow your way. Jesus, thank you for loving us enough to come and be the one who we could never be perfect and holy and right and pleasing to the Father. And thank you for loving us enough to giving your life as a sacrifice so that dead men and women can come and be born again, born anew, made alive, filled with your presence, your Holy Spirit, and be given the promise of forever with you. What, what a gift. So we do sing, we give you the highest praise because you deserve it. We really do. We love you, Lord. And so we want to faithfully see what you have to say so that we can live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, like I'm crying through my own prayer. I'm pathetic. Anyway, <laughs> I don't care. If you don't like it, I could recommend a few other places. Um, I'm not, you, you're welcome to stay. It's just I'm, I'm the teary guy. I just get caught up in the goodness of Jesus. So, uh, well, like I was saying, um, we started this series in Romans. I had to look back. It's been so long. October 30th, 2016, we started walking through this letter to a church in Rome. And, you know, looking back, this is, I had to count them. This is teaching number 56 in this series, which means we're really slow. Like, you're not, I am really slow. And I look back at photos. Do you know I had a full head of hair when we started this series? I, no joke. And I didn't have any gray. And I, I think we had children. I, I don't even, I can't remember that far back. <laughs> we did. Calm down. Anyway, uh, we've started. It's been a, it's been a long journey and it's, it's amazing how much has changed. Uh, many of you started coming and, and, and join this church, like in the middle of this, this journey. And some of you have changed relationship status, or you changed jobs, you've, you've moved. And it's been good to walk through what it means to follow Jesus together. It's been a life-changing experience for me personally. Uh, I, who gets the most out of this? Selfishly, I do. Because I've spent like hours and hours trying to figure out what Paul is saying and what God, through Paul in this letter, is saying to us. And so I have a bigger view of God in the last year and a half, and that's, that's good. And I've got a better understanding of what the good news is, and that's, that's healthy. So today we want to see, like, where does, where does Paul land the plane? How does it end? And what can we leave? This is like the final taste. I mean, if, you, if you have, like, 60 hours of free time, you can listen to all of it. Yeah, they, all of you are excited about that, I know. <laughs> I think I will this week. No, not really. Uh, let's look at Romans 16. And let's just see how Paul ends it. Because I think he gives us at least, at least three. At least three things that we can pick up on uh, together. Romans 16, verse 17. It says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. But everyone has heard about your obedience. I rejoice 
because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is, is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Okay, a couple of things. This is just to wrap it up and to pull it all together and respond in worship. What can we get from Paul's ending? Because he doesn't waste a word. Write this one down. We ought to stay grounded. Let's stay grounded. Um, Paul loves this group, and so he's written a lot to them. And now in the, in the last little end, he says to them, watch out. He gives them a little warning. I urge you. I plead with you. I'm warning you. Brothers and sisters, like family, take care of each other. If you see your family member going off a cliff, so to speak, wouldn't the loving thing be to warn them, hey, what you're doing is not helpful? If you see a good friend or someone that you live by, you care for, going in a direction that's unhealthy, the greatest thing we could do is to say, look, I love you, brother, sister, friend, neighbor, uh, you're going off track. And so Paul says to them, like I say to you, in light of all that we've learned and seen, let's stay grounded. Now, Paul, so much good to say about this church, just like I have so much good to brag about you. We're just six years into our story together. Some of you have followed Jesus a long time, much longer than that. And there's so much good. God is using you. He's, he's working through you. We've, we've been a part of so much in just six years. Within our first year, we had helped plant a church in northern Uganda and in Raleigh, North Carolina. And we've been a part of planting churches in Bend, Oregon, and in Spokane, Washington, and in San Diego, California. And you've been generous, and you've gone on trips, and you've sent money, and you've prayed, and you've served. You're doing a lot. You should feel good about what God's doing through us together. But, warning, let's stay grounded. It's possible to have a good start and fall off track. It's possible to begin well and get derailed. And so the warning is to... to, to to watch out for people and their teaching that's going to get you off. Paul's already traveled a bunch. He's written this. He's traveled. He did three trips in, in 10 years, and he planted churches, and he noticed a trend. He went into a place, a region called Galatia, and he, and he helped with the work, and he taught, and he stayed, and he built them up. And then he goes off to plant another community and preach the good news, and he finds out that other people slip in. And they've been taught well, they, they knew the word of God, but others came in with a slightly different message. And so he says to them, stay grounded because they're going to be people who come, men and women who come with ideas that sound good. We're going to look later in the year at, uh, at a letter that Paul writes to First Timothy. And, and, he, and he warns Timothy, who's a young leader in the church, you need to, you need to teach what's right and true because people are going to have itching ears. And, and their teachers are going to flatter and tell people what they want to hear rather than what's right and true. So watch it if you're just feeling good about your own self if what's being taught isn't the way of Jesus, right? It's possible to hear messages about Jesus that aren't, that aren't true. And it happens. And so the word is stay grounded. It's dangerous to stop learning, to stop growing. And so that's, that's our, our word to each other. Because it happened in Galatia and teachers did come in. And you know what happened to the church? The church got split and some started hovering on one idea as the, the big idea. These teachers basically said, if you don't really live the Jewish lifestyle and follow all the Jewish ways, you're not really following Jesus. You're not really following Jesus. In order to really follow Jesus, you need to do this and avoid that. 
And so that we have to be careful of. And the way that we're careful, my friend, is that you stay grounded. You pursue, you look, you study, you don't become content so that when you hear things that are off, you'll see them as off and you won't be swayed. Uh, Doug Moo, who's probably one of the most brilliant writers about Romans and letters to Paul, he says this about these verses. False teachers are especially prone to create divisions. They're often guilty of singling out one point of teaching or doctrine and then distorting it and then exaggerating it until it stands out from the others. And in their zeal for their quote-unquote new idea, they make converts uh, who are equally zealous. We need to watch out that we don't overly hype on one thing, right? One point. And, and this is the point. If you don't agree with me on this point, you're completely off. So he says to them, warning, watch what you hear and see so that you don't lose track. And now here's the good news. He had a lot, he had a lot of good to say about them. And I have, I've got a lot to say, good to say about you. I don't, I don't think we're off in our teaching here. Like he says to them, everyone's heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. I rejoice because of you. Word is getting around the Roman Empire about your, not just your faith, it's interesting what he says, about your obedience. Do you know I can't see your faith? What you believe I can't see. You know what I can see? How you live. And so what we want to do is take all that we've been learning in Romans about the good news and not just talk about it or listen to it or move on, but actually live it out. So what word has gone out that this group of people is actually hearing the good news and trying to live it out. And so he rejoices about them. And faith can be seen in your behavior. So the word to us, stay grounded. Not just listening to the word of God, but trying to do it as well. Uh, he gives a great phrase here. What does this look like to stay grounded? I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Isn't that a great phrase? Be wise. Be really good about good. And I want you to be innocent about evil, that you don't even step there. And, and that's how we stay grounded. We stay grounded by hearing things that are right and stepping into it. Not just hearing but taking steps to obey. Uh, now, this series has been called In Light of the Day because look at what he throws in here. Why is this important? Why is it important that we stay grounded together and we grow together and we pursue together and we learn together? Why is this important? The God of peace, verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Now, this is like, where does that come from? And why is he talking about Satan being squashed? What Paul is doing is reminding them what he's been teaching, that the good news didn't start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The good news starts on the first page of the Bible. In the beginning, God creates. God's the creator. There's no one like him. And he creates a perfect and beautiful world. And he creates men and women, Adam and Eve. And they both are given good words. Enjoy it all. Just listen to me. Obey. There's one thing I want you to stay away from. It's going to lead to your destruction. Stay away from this, this tree, this fruit. Just avoid this and the rest will go well. And then they got curious and then they heard the voice of the serpent who came to them with a lie. God is lying to you. This tree will lead to good, uh, the knowledge of good and evil. And you won't die. You're going to really live. God's holding back. 
And Adam and Eve both stumble, just like we stumble. So what does God say to the, to the man and the woman? Uh, don't worry. There, there is a serpent. but The serpent's head is going to be crushed someday. It's in Genesis 3. And Paul picks up all the way back to the beginning of God's story. And he reminds them, just like I remind you, we live in obedience and faith to Jesus. We live out our faith. We want to grow. We want to be grounded. Why? Because the God of peace is soon going to crush the enemy in God's future. There will be no more evil, and you and I will live and rule with God. We won't be God, but God will give us assignments, and we'll live in a renewed world, and the earth will be made new. It'll be just like it was in the garden, but better. And you and I are going to walk with God forever. In light of that truth, we ought to pursue God now. And by the way, when we stumble and we fall and we do, we all disappoint, don't we? We hear the truth, but we don't live up to it. Here's, here's the reminder from Paul. You can stay grounded even though you're not perfect. You can live grounded even though you're struggling. You can live grounded even though you're tempted and, and, and worried if you're going to make it. You could still live grounded. Why? The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. In other words, there is a battle now, but God's the victor. And Jesus' victory on the cross gives us a taste of what's to come. You see, when you receive the gospel, when you receive the good news, Satan is defeated in your life. For real. The metaphors are, are so vivid. You've gone from death to life. How's that for vivid? When you are in Jesus, you are no longer dead in your old way and in your sin and in your rebellion. You are alive with Jesus Christ who's resurrected. And, and you go from darkness to light. Can't get more vivid than that. So it's already true of you. If you're in Jesus, even though I do stumble and I do rebel and I do sin, the God of peace has already crushed Satan on my behalf. Death is defeated. Jesus is risen. I am alive in Christ. But I'm still human. <laughs> Knowing one day the God of peace will completely crush the work of the enemy and he will be sent into the deepest pit and I will be alive fully in Jesus. No more temptation and no more sorrow and no more struggle. And man, I long for that day. We're, we're supposed to like want it now. This life is amazing. It's brilliant. It's beautiful. But it's nothing compared to what God has in store for you. And so because that is True, Paul sees Jesus as the fulfillment of that promise. And if I'm in Jesus, that promise is true of me. And so right after the line, the God of peace will soon crush Satan on your feet. What does he say? The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. This is beautiful. God's already won the victory. He's going to give you the victory when you see him face to face or he returns. You're going to get it. Victory is yours. It's like Jamie running that marathon. 26.2 miles is a long way to go. And some people wonder, am I going to make it to the end? Am I going to make it to the end? And in, in real marathons, lots of people drop off. Don't listen, I kid ourselves. But in Jesus, I'm not going to drop off. He is going to get me and grace is going to bring me to the end. The God of peace will soon crush Satan. So now what do we need? We need the grace of the Lord Jesus to be with us. And with that, I remind you, let's stay, let's live grounded. Since that's true, let's live grounded. Now, okay, that's the first thing. Let's, 
Let's be grounded. Let's live grounded together. Second thing I want us to see comes from the strange list of names. So let's just keep reading verse 21. Let's keep reading along. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you, as does Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, uh, which is a cousin of Darth Vader, by the way, my fellow Jews. That's how you pronounce it. Sosipater is like Darth Vader. That was my word association. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, send you his greetings. And Erastus, who's the city's director of public works, which is very strange. In the, in the end of his letter, he's giving people like jobs. And our brother Quartus, send you their greetings. Okay, let's stay grounded, right? Second thing I want us to see, let's do our part. As we await for the day of the Lord, as we await for the day of his coming, as we await for all that God has in our future, let's you and me, let's do our part. So what Paul does is he's greeted the people, last week we saw he greeted the people who are in Rome. Now he sends greetings from the church that was in Corinth with him as he's, as he's writing the letter. He's looking at his team. And look at, look at his team. Timothy, six of Paul's letters are co-written by his young protege, Timothy. He says, my co-worker, not my like employee. Timothy's my man. Timothy's my partner. He calls him his son in the faith. Timothy, Paul. so Paul is passing his faith down to someone else. It's just a word. The, the sending of Matt and Tess, who've been with us just for a year. They're growing in their faith. They've dedicated a year of their life to study the word of God. And not only study, they've been here every Wednesday night, faithfully serving our young people. They're here on Sunday morning, faithfully serving. We want to be a community that doesn't just fill ourselves with Pauls who grow up and die. Churches die. Do you know that? Now, the gospel never dies. Jesus never dies. But communities die when they don't recognize that the good news is a team effort. Let's do our part. And if you know someone who's younger than you or younger in the faith than you, guess what? You can do your part. You can bring them in. You can raise them up. You can give them things to do. You can replace yourself with them because, by the way, you're going to die. I mean, chipper for Sunday. You are. And so am I. And so the best statement about you wouldn't be like, wow, he or she, they were just amazing, and they died. But it would be great if they looked at the people, the Timothys in your world, and said, wow, I could see Jose in Timothy. I could see Paul in this young person. And by the way, wow, Timothy's even doing greater things than Paul. Let's do our part to pass it on. This Tert Tertius, who's his whose writer, his scribe, his amanuensis is what they called him. He, he was his Siri, you know? Except in this case, like it worked. I'm, Siri's broken. Maybe it's me. I don't, I don't know. It's a little side rant. But I say, hey, Siri. And then I do something and I get something else. Well, Tertius is faithful and hears everything. Paul didn't write it. He dictated it. And, and Tertius is, is faithful to write it down. And that, thank God for the team. Paul is multitasking, but he has a faithful friend to write. There's Ga uh, Gaius, whose hospitality the whole church enjoys. I think it's code. He's got a huge Airbnb and everyone gets to stay for free. I think he's got a big house. Doesn't say, but he's got money because the whole church is enjoying his what? 
his hospitality. Hospitality equaled a home or food or care or medical attention. And so thank God for Gaius. Erastus, who's got a job, <laughs> evidently. He's the director of public works. And why? He's, code word, he's influential in the city. God has a team. Paul has a team. And in the same way, we've got a team. We're, we're a team-based church. And so you have all sorts of levels. And so I thank God for elders who, on top of their already very busy worlds, love you enough and give so much time to you. And there are all sorts of walks of life. We have an elder who's an architect, and an elder who's a nonprofit fundraiser, and an elder who's a business consultant, and an elder uh, who's an investor. We have, we have other elders, myself and Brandon, who are full-time dedicated to the work of, of the church, but it's not about title, it's about service. And so Paul recognizes and, and tells the church, thank God for this crew. I wouldn't be here without them. And this church wouldn't be here without elders who loved you and cared for you. And like we said last week, there are all sorts of deacons, men and women who are serving you faithfully. And there are people with no title who just come and serve. And that should be the heart of every church. And I thank God there's something for you to do. So let's stay grounded. Let's grow. Let's, let's commit ourselves to faithfully learn the word of God and live it out. But let's also do stuff. Let's not just be heady. I don't want to be a part of a church that just does Bible studies, right? I want to be a part of a community that takes what we're learning and puts it into practice and loves people like really. Gaius, whose hospitality we all enjoyed. He was generous with the church and with the team and, and, and we are that kind of church. This isn't a slam. I think when I look at Paul reflecting on his team and the church at Rome, I'm, I'm just proud of you because you're faithful. Now, that is a word. Not everyone is doing their part. Not everyone. Who are the people who are not doing their part? You know who you are. So all we're doing is simply calling you and inviting you. You don't need a title. If you don't know where to start, come to the serve training uh, that's coming up in a, in a couple of weeks. If you, if you know someone serving, just join them. And the task doesn't matter. It's not about the task. It's about you being faithful to do your part. If you're receiving, be a giver. If you're a giver, open up your life to receive. We want to be God's team on God's mission. And so we want to be grounded together. And that's the word. And we want to do our part. That's the word. And then the final, the final part comes with his, his, his climax here. The verses 25 and following. Let's look at them. He ends with with praise to God, verses 25 to the end. It says, Now to him, God, who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for, for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. The last thing I want us to see and call you to is let's focus on Jesus. Where does he end? He ends at the beginning. If you read the beginning of the letter, he says, Paul, an apostle, called by God and committed to the good news. And then he circles back and he, he tidies it up. If you read the first few verses and the last few verses, they almost say, exactly the same thing because he starts with his call to follow Jesus and preach the good news and he ends with a call to worship 
Jesus. What the good news is, he reminds him, verse 25, my gospel. This is, this is kind of crazy here. He doesn't even say the gospel. He says, my message. He's embodied it. Now, it's God's message. But he's like, this is, this is, this is what I live for. I wonder, can you say the same thing? Is it the faith or is it my faith? Have you owned it? He says, my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ. L let me just remind you, the, the good news is a message. It's a real message. It takes words. It's something we share. It is a way of living and a person we follow. The good news is a message. He says, verse end of 25, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery that was hidden. There are people for centuries who didn't get the good news. They didn't get the full story. Guess what? We live on the other side of history where we get the whole story. So everyone who lived in the time before Jesus, they only saw part, majority, but a part of it. They didn't get to see the fulfillment. Now we are so spoiled. We live in the times where we see the whole picture. And you and I should remember the good news is a message and the good news is revealed. God has made it known. The way we know Jesus is because God has enabled men to write about him. And if it weren't for the Bible, if it weren't for Scripture, we wouldn't know what God is like. And so you and I ought to soak our mind and our imagination on the message, the news that God's given us, and the revelation, the understanding of it, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, this is the gospel. And by the way, the good news is for everyone. Look at what he says. So that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. His goal was to get the good news to whoever God wanted to know it. And this is the mystery up until the time of Jesus, the message was mostly told to those who are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the people called Israel. Other people heard it, but the people who enjoyed God's presence the most were the people called Israel. One tribe, one nation, one area. And now God had planned for the whole world to know him. And so in Jesus, the message is now declared to everyone. So, so Paul says, so that the non Descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the people who didn't realize this is for them, they might come to the obedience that comes from faith. Again, the, did you see the combination there? Faith is not just a belief, something we say, something we say we, we understand. Faith leads to obedience. It, it has to affect the way we live. And so if you say you follow Jesus, I ought to be able to imperfectly, not exactly always, but I ought to see Jesus in the way you live. And his goal was to share the good news and then teach people how to live out their faith in the real world. And this is for everyone, which, by the way, is why we take huge steps of faith. It is a huge step of faith to rent Hillsborough Stadium and say that by God's grace, we're going to fill it with people who know the good news and who don't know the good news. And so you say, Jose, what do I, what do, I do? If you, if you can't think of anything else, be praying for someone right now. Pray for some people right now that you live by, work by, know, and pray that God will enable you to talk to them about this Jesus. And if nothing else, invite them on August the 12th to Hillsborough Stadium with, with great music, artists from around the country, and a message that is simple 
and direct and to the point. Jesus is for you, not against you, and he came to give you life. And if you open yourself up to his leadership, he will change you. The good news is for everyone. So we're stepping in with bold faith. Now, this gospel, this good news, isn't just for believing and about obedience. It's about God grounding you. There's an interesting phrase here. Now to him who is able to establish you. The gospel, the good news, doesn't, it, it doesn't just transform your heart and life and your mind and the way you live. The good news itself grounds you and establishes you. This is a, a helpful line from a pastor in New York, Tim Keller. He says, the gospel is the power of God. We know that. That's Romans 1.16. The gospel is how God changes people and futures. Notice, though, in chapter 16, verse 25, Paul does not say the, that the gospel that is able to save you. Rather, he says, God is powerful to establish us through the gospel. And this reminds us that the gospel is not only the entry point into the Christian life, it's also the way we continue in, grow in, and enjoy life with Christ. So Paul has shown in Romans how the gospel not only saves us, that's chapters 1 through 5, but also then how it changes us, it's chapters 6 through 8 and 12 through 15. If we believe the gospel, God is working powerfully through it in us. We need never move away from it. That's, just, that's, a, that's a great line. We never get beyond this, and which is why every Sunday centers back in the symbols of the bread and the cup, the gospel. The good news, we never, we never leave it. So it's like I already know that, I already know the basics of the faith. It's, it's, not our, it's not just our starting point, it's where we get established. And so my friend, I pray for you that you and I, that we would be focused on Jesus, focused on the good news, that this would never become old, but it would always be refreshing as God enables us to understand it. So verse 26 says, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. The temptation, the temptation today, my friends, is to simply live a me-centered faith. Why is this important? Like why, why do we center ourselves in the gospel? Why do we let God establish us in it? Because the temptation is for you and I to make our own faith, a me-centered faith. Like, I believe what I want to believe. I do what I want to do. I live the way I want to live. I call the shots. And I interpret what the Bible means for me. And the gospel doesn't give us room to do that. God's revealed his message about his son. And Jesus has shown us the way to live. And so we want to live a Jesus-centered faith, not a me-centered faith. And if you want to be, be grounded, saturate your thinking on Jesus. And here's the good word. Now to him who is able to establish you. Jesus will do it for you. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this is the letter. Now we want to step into it. And now we want to respond. I'm just going to give you a second to think about. Maybe if you have a notepad or if you have a phone and you keep your notes there. And ask you this question. What has God taught you in our time together in Romans. Can you think of one thing in 56 messages in a year and a half, one thing that God has reminded you about? And I want to give you a second just to jot that down or just to remind yourself 
about it. You know, we're not going to remember everything, but there's got to be something over these last few months that God's trying to remind us about his good news, about Jesus, about ourselves, about our way of life, about division and how to stay united, about giftedness, how we receive the Holy Spirit. What's one thing that God has taught you? I want you to write it down again because let's start with that. That's not the only thing, but let's start with that. And, and maybe of the 300 things that God has reminded Let's focus on the one or two and let's see what God might do in the months and years to come. Let's stay grounded together. Let's do our part. Uh, let's, let's do it together. And let's stay focused on Jesus because apart from him, we can't do any of this anyway. So we need Jesus to save us and we need Jesus to lead us and we need Jesus to forgive us and we need Jesus to uphold us. And the moment we get to the spot where we don't need Jesus, we need Jesus. And I pray that for us that we'll live humbly dependent on him for all things. All right, why don't we do this? With that one thing in mind that Jesus has taught you, I'm gonna invite you to stand up to your feet and we're gonna repeat a prayer together. We don't often do this, but I'm gonna invite you now to stand up. He, he, he ends with worship to God and he writes out, you see it all throughout the Old Testament that the prophets would often, in the middle of their saying God's word to the people, they would get caught up in God's revelation and they would throw back praise to God. You see it in the Psalms. One second, David is crying out his heart, why, Lord, why, Lord? And then he flips it. But you alone are faithful, Lord. From generation to generation, there is none like you, O God. So what we want to do is end our time in looking at Romans by stepping in with Paul who, uh, who wrote words that are praise to God. I think we've got it on the screen. Why don't we put it on the screen if we would so we can say them together. It's gonna to be starting in verse 25. And let's just, let's make it not just a line, but let's make it our prayer as a community. Let's end by remembering God is our focus. Jesus is our savior. Let's say it together. One, two, three. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We're going to worship uh, by singing. And in a little bit, uh, we're going to be invited to the table to grab the bread and the cup and remember the good news that Jesus saves. And he saves sinners. And that's why we're here, because we don't deserve it. But Jesus gave it all. And then we're going to go towards the end and we're going to uh, celebrate at least two people who have decided today to follow Jesus through baptism. And so my only final challenge to you is this, uh, the obedience that comes from faith. And if you say today, I choose to follow him, or you did like months ago, but you've never walked out the way of Jesus, I'm going to invite you to take one of the many steps of obedience that comes out of a heart of faith 
and that if you know you've chosen the way of Jesus, you've decided to receive his grace, you're following him, but you've not been baptized in water, this is not a guilt trip. It's an invitation to live obedient. I'm gonna invite you, when everyone goes to the table to grab the bread and the cup, to simply make your way over and one of our leaders will meet you there. And this is not a guilt trip, it's an opportunity. And we want to invite you to step into the waters with towels to dry you off and, and, uh, and rejoice that you're not only talking about your following Jesus with your lips, but you're following Jesus with your life. And so I invite you, uh, when the opportunity is given, follow him, even be baptized this morning. Lord, thank you that your grace and mercy is new every morning, so we want to worship you. We want to give you the highest praise. Lord Jesus, you deserve it.